that was a big journey. That, that took a couple of years for me to learn that I don't get everything from my team, right? And that's okay because they're doing their job and it's not their job to be my thought partner. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I'm your host and chief goddess of the PASS Foundation, Annalise Corbin. We know the current model for education is obsolete. It was designed to create fleets of assembly line workers, not the thinkers and problem solvers needed today. We've seen the innovations that are possible within education, and it's our goal to leave the box behind and reimagine what education can look like in your own backyard. Welcome to today's episode of Learning Unboxed. As always, I am excited to talk with another great innovator in the transformative education space. And today we are going to be talking about programs that bridge the gap as positive disruptors and how we think about the concept of what is school, why does it matter, what are we going to do with this education that we're all um, clamoring to, to gain. And joining us today is Abdul Mateen, CEO of Project U. So Abdul, welcome to Learning Unboxed. Thank you so much, Annalise, for hosting me. It's an honor to be here. Uh, we are super excited to uh, have this conversation, but let's set a little bit of context for our listeners as we get started. Project U is building systems that bridge the gap between schools and the real world through programs that are relevant, impactful, and experiential. It's one of the things that I love about the conversation that you and I were able to have when I first learned about Project U um, in Japan last winter. Um, Project U focuses on exploring and activating and bridging to life conceptual educational projects and that journey of ideas from dream to reality and what meaningful improvement looks like. So, Abdul, really an amazing sort of work that you're doing, but I want to start with one of the things that I was most um, impacted by personally was your personal journey to start Project U, because, you know, you didn't start out wanting to do this particular thing. You you went down a path um, around engineering and a really robust career, but you made this recognition that, no, this was the thing that needed to be done. So let's start with that why of Project U for you, Abdul. Um, yeah. Um, thank you, Annalise, for, for hosting this. Um, I think one of the, one of the things that um, there were two really prolific events that happened that kind of brought that uh, why into perspective. So um, my background was in aeronautical engineering. And um, so that is literally rocket science. Mm -hmm. And literally, was, <laughs> it's literally rocket science. So one of my, when I, when I was in my final year, I was doing an internship with GE and um, uh, with their uh, engines department. And, um, and around that same time, oh, we were, there was a poster and, and, this was my last semester of university. There was a poster on the wall that said, if you had the power of Expo behind you, what would you do? So this was 2017. The World Expo was, 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 uh, was being hosted in Dubai in 2020. So uh, that was the catchphrase. And, and what it was, was basically, there was a grant program for student projects. Um, and so me and a couple of friends got together and we said, hey, what's the biggest challenge facing our generation right now? And that what the answer to that was education. And so mm -hmm. we went around and we applied for it. And long story short, we got the grant. And so 
when I had when I was doing my internship with GE and then we had the grant, I had a, the question was how many folks get to have a grant and work on education? Mm-hmm. Very, very few, especially experimental education. Right. Um, and then how many like uh, if 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 I left GE as an engineer, am I replaceable? Yes, very easily. There are thousands of young people <laughs> waiting to be an engineer at GE. <laughs> So I think that was that was one thing that said, okay, there's a, this is something that not many people are focusing on, but it is a huge requirement of our time and uh, day and time. So why not why not uh, dedicate um, at least five years? That that was my first commitment. Let me dedicate at least five years to, mm-hmm. to seeing this through and seeing what what can be what can be achieved through it. The other kind of very uh, uh, you know important why that kind of led to Project Two was. Uh, I was at JITEX, which is like a, um, uh, which is like a electronics and technology fair, one of the largest in the Middle East, and uh, and I was visiting it, and I saw some of my seniors who had graduated a year or two before me, selling, uh, being part of the sales folks who were at stalls trying to sell some of these, uh, some of these products, and. They're rocket scientists. They're some of the most talented, um, highly educated, and they've graduated, which means they've, they've, they're, they're certified as high-level engineers. And then I realized, but we have a huge rate of youth unemployment in our part of the world. And so we have so many people graduating with fancy degrees, but not many people actually getting jobs. So that's where it came about, the mission came about of what do we need to do where we can actually bridge that gap between what's actually happening in education and what the real world actually needs. Because the current institutions, whether it be schools, universities, and regulatory authorities, they're just regulating the content of, of, of the, uh, of the ac- academics uh, and not much more beyond that, not anything to do with pathways and not anything to do with what happens after graduation. So, I mean, that was that was the why. That was, that was those, those two incidents were very formative, uh, so to speak, in the development of Project Two. Yeah. And I can see how that would be the case, right? But I also think it's super interesting because there's also something about you, Abdul, right? Because, you know, you are a bit of a serial entrepreneur, right? You've got lots of ideas and you are a connector of dots. Like you see a scenario, it's really clear. You know, if you, you, you read through the resume that is Abdul, it's really, really clear through taking a look at that, that from, from that moment when you made that decision, even to today, the sort of things that you sort of put your hand in, if you will, that are clearly for the benefit of sort of changing changing the world in a really positive way. And so I'm, I'm also curious then um, about how you, you take that social impact component, the, the, the fact that you seem to be a bit of a serial entrepreneur and you're a thinker, you're a big thinker and you're a connector. There's no question about that. And so when you take all of these elements of who you are as an individual, and then you apply them to this work as an organization, that's really a powerful combination. Um, I think one of the things that I read um, that that was sort of sent over is over 7,000 youth have been impacted by the work that you've you've done through this program. And so I'm curious about the work of the program itself. So what is the experience? Well, I guess let's back up. 
let's first and foremost talk about sort of as a, when it, when a student sort of becomes part of um, the the project you ecosystem, what does that mean? And what is a student going to experience as it relates to really having um, a tangible sort of touch and feel on that bridging of that gap between education and the real world? So Project U's model was to kind of look at how do you support existing uh, institutions into building up uh, new ways and solving some of the gaps that we see uh, between the education and the real world. So our first flagship program was called Building Guild, and it was designed to support schools, high schools in particular, with uh, a curriculum on social and emotional learning and a curriculum on industry projects. So one of the ways on how we wanted to address this uh, youth unemployment issue was what if we could get exposure to industry opportunities and projects um, at year 9, year 10, year 11, year 12 level. And um, because then you can actually, we, we wanted students to be able to make more informed decisions as to if they chose mathematics or if they chose engineering or if they chose art or therapy or psychology uh, to actually know what does that entail and, and what kind of opportunities are available for them and what are the players in the local market uh, which they could end up working for or collaborating with when they when they graduate. So um, essentially, what we uh, what we what we did was we took ownership of experience experience creation. So the the project you product, if we if we were able to put it into a product, is obviously the programs, but it, it we term it as something called LX, which is the learning experience, right? And we have a framework, a mantra of sorts of what the learning experience for students uh, must be like. Um, and that was based on the simple notion that we remember how our teacher spoke to us uh, when we were kids, right? We may not remember what she said, or we may not remember what was the content delivered on that day, but we remember the kind of experiences that we feel like. So, so um, we also saw that schools have difficulties and trying to coordinate with external entities and external companies and stuff because that's a over, that's a big burden on teachers. So we took over that responsibility with our program. So in addition to the social emotional um, skill sets and curriculum, we also we also contextualize that into a project. So um, so every term, every three months, students work on one project from the industry. So whether it be with a bank or whether it be with a hospital or whether it be with a hotel or whether it be with a juice company or whether it be with a restaurant. Um, and we want those experiences to come through um, so that people know what they like and what they don't like. Because you might come out of three months and say, hey, actually, I did not like working in restaurants. When as a child, I thought, oh, being a restaurant owner or operator would be the coolest thing in the world. When you realize it's a seven day job. Right, you do it, and you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you need to be there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, you can't be with your family. Just as an example, so uh, I think that was, and that in essence was where Project You started. And we took that model over the last five years to uh, go into community centers and libraries um, to reimagine them because people were just going, we're not going to them anymore, and we started creating our programs for those spaces as well as for universities and university. That's a little bit more structured. We have a lot more focus on uh, high-level projects and uh, with real industry outcomes, uh, in addition to your leadership and 
self-development and 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 um, self-growth uh, aspects. So, but that model still came from those core elements of the LX, the learning experience, mixing between social emotional learning and industrial learning. I really love that. And I love the way that very quickly, five years is nothing, honestly, right? In the world of an organization. So five years is nothing. So kudos to you because that's super impressive. I will start with that. Having having you know launched an organization from the ground up, it takes time. Um, but I think it's really interesting that you, in that space of time, were very able quickly able to go from formal education that grade 9, 10, 11, 12 sort of space all the way through post-secondary with university. That's that's really an amazing thing. So I'm super curious about some of the framework elements, not necessarily wanting to get into the sort of secret sauce of the way um, this works, but really trying to understand what are some of those foundational things that are kind of non-negotiables through your your own design, but also through the experience over the last five years in terms of what is it that students really need um, to be successful as they explore and move on? As you, you know from um, uh, the conversations that we were able to have in Japan, this is really near and dear to me, right? Because we know that students have no clue what's out there. And you, your, your point about, you know, the restaurant examples is a perfect one. I think this is what I should do. This is what I've been exposed to. This is what my family does maybe. But I have no idea what my own potential or my own passions out in the world could possibly be unless I have this 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 opportunity to truly dig in and explore with those things but it's really difficult inside of our structured systems so how does project you battle that yeah you're absolutely right i think one of the critical elements when we're looking at those um, at those requirements is how do we scale exposure right right and so um the conventional educational system has made its uh, has made its bread and butter by repeating elements. So, how do we create a simple product? For example, math lesson. How can we replicate it in the same way across hundreds of schools, across hundreds of states and districts, and and, and countries? So, um, but so the but when you're actually looking at student development and, and, and learning development, especially character development, it's a very local, very personal uh, experience. And so, which is why a lot of the times when we look at, I think that starts with the choosing the educator that's involved to deliver those sessions. And we want to get educators from the same community and from who speak a similar language and who speak and who can relate to that community. Um, because there are nuances um, and, and there are cultural references that uh, us coming from outside just simply do not get. Um, and I've learned that a lot, especially when traveling to other cities and other countries where we can come and share principles of education and principles of learning, which is why LX, we still keep it as a principle, we, but we don't have exact specific things that we want the teachers to do because that's like an iterative process that builds around community right and and that builds around the culture that comes about um and uh, a lot of times especially in the uh hard and fast world that we live in lesser people are able to relate to their teachers there was a research that was done by uh, the knowledge and human development authority which is the educational authority here in dubai 
where less than 40% of students above 12 years old have any meaningful relationship with their teachers. Um, and 60% of them are just switched off and they don't have, uh, they, treat, they treat them on a very transactional basis. And so that's, I think, one of the first challenges that we want to solve for. So as much as the content that's, that's incredibly uh, there, as much as the frameworks that are there, we want to be able to solve that connection uh, challenge because that produces, uh, um, that produces impact in a way that we can't quantify. Um, so I think that's very important and relevant. Um, the second thing for us is um, also managing expectations with learners. When you try and scale exposure, um, sometimes exposures aren't nice. And the first thing, especially if you've dealt with parents and you've dealt with teachers or students who sometimes I might be demanding is, why did I have a not good experience, right? Um, and that doesn't mean that the program is bad or the framework is bad. It's just that that experience was not for you. And so just like how you go for, you know, tasting a bunch of ice creams at Baskin Robbins, for example, right? You might not like the, the ice cream that you taste, but that's why this program, which it's, it's long, but it's designed to be in your school phase, allows you to taste different aspects of what the life in the future is so that you don't have to spend that time in your 20s trying to do multiple different um, jobs. Because oftentimes the culture in our part of the world is that you don't get that, uh, you don't get that liberty. Uh, of, of experimenting in your 20s, right? Because you have a lot of family pressure and sometimes you just have, maybe your parents are retired by the time you're 20s and, and there's an expectation that you look after them and, and you take care of them. And so that so there, there are nuances to that, which, which is why I think that comes into, that comes into uh, managing expectations and building, uh, building the right kind of understanding around why such a program is there. Uh, another third thing I will say is from an innovation perspective, when you try and come and launch a new program, uh, even if you have buy-in from leadership, uh, in, in, a, in a normal school system, there are so many decision makers and so many people who have their two cents to put in, into the argument. So getting everybody to buy into a program is almost like a lobbying effort uh, for, for, for educators and for innovators to try and bring uh, new and, and 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 we've realized that's that almost needs its own little micro PR strategy because you you need them to be your um, you need them to be your advocates uh, throughout the course of, of the program um, and uh, after the program as well. But what we realized is such a program is very sticky. So all the schools that started off with us, the, the, our older schools who started off with us four years ago, they're still with us today because it's a sticky program. Because once you start prove it, that it operates and it works, people want to continue doing it. So from an operational perspective, that makes it that makes it easier as well. I'm super curious about the how how you were able to get both the schools and the industry partners to commit to a three-month project, right? That's a that's a lot. And one of the things I hear all the time is, you know, schools are like, we really want to do more meaningful work with our industry partners. And, you know, you talk to the industry partners, they're like, yes, we want to have, a, you know, more of an impact other than just writing a check or just being there for career day. We want to actually have an active and engaged role with the schools right in our backyard. But the reality is they don't know how to work together. They don't typically know how to speak a common language, right? Industry and educators. Um, and even if they have the best intentions, sometimes those partnerships very quickly devolve. 
So how, how have you figured out what's the magic in making that type of meaningful partnership work? Because lots of places, um, schools, lots of industries aspire to figure this out, but this is the tough one, right? Is navigating that space, I would think, first and foremost, so that you can even put the great program in place, right? How do you do that? So from an industry partner's perspective, uh, my simple rule of thumb with the team is we want to work with folks who want to work with us, right? And so we don't go and uh, we definitely want to ask around and say, hey, we really like your organization. Would you like to work with our with our school students? Um, but we don't want to pester folks and say, no, please get involved and, and go down that route. Um, and so we've seen that if you, um, and this goes, down, this goes down to how you build relationships, right? Because we've seen that if you, put the right um, framework in mind. And if you have a good relationships person who handles the industry partnerships, they're able to organically build their requirements. And generally people want to come and support. They want to come and uh, educate future uh, generations and, and and they want to support how the future of the workforce gets uh, shaped as well. So principle number one, I would say is work with folks who want to work with you. And there are plenty of folks who want to support schools and education. There are some companies who say they might, but they might not actually have any people within who can be advocates and who can be uh, who can take the charge on, on this issue. The um, second thing that I would say is um, MOUs and, and, and documents mean very little if you don't have the right people on the other side of the table when it comes into the industry partners. So uh, essentially, we've looked at two main folks, two main um, functions within uh, within a company that we see a lot of passion in. So we see either from the founders or the CEO or, or top level leadership uh, or head of a department of things, they really have this inclining of wanting to give back. Um, and then the others is folks in HR and and uh, who are responsible for uh, human capital and, uh, and, and well-being of the employees and all of, all of that stuff. So these two guys are your main key touch points when it comes into who do you want when you want to reach out to a company who would actually be interested in, in, in being part of the engagement? Um, more importantly, um, I think we're, it's also about how we structure that engagement. So over a three month process, we ask the employer, we ask employers to come in uh, between um, four to five times. And each time we've already sent them the schedule three months ahead of schedule. So we know they know what what dates and times they need to come in. And we handle and we take care of all of the student uh, behavior and and we manage the students. So they're coming in just as a subject matter expert. They can come in, give their expertise, work with the students and leave. They don't have to worry about well-being, safety, safeguarding concerns. That's all taken care of by us, right? So sometimes um, when companies, when when students are invited to companies, uh, companies have to take care of their well-being, their safeguarding. And especially during COVID and and, and, pandemic, and post-COVID, uh, most companies do not want to take that responsibility uh, on board. So I think making taking that off their uh, uh, plate also allows more students to get to work with them and more students to get that exposure. So in our first cohort, we had 140 students working with three, three experts, right? Now, there's no way that 140 students would have gotten internships in that company if they don't have interns for But just because the model is structured like this, they got to work for three months, and that was a construction company. They got to work on for three months on designing a building, on doing material analysis, doing cost analysis on how they should procure stuff. 
these are 13, 14 year old kids, right? And so, um, and so I think that's why the framework is 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 critical. Same thing on the uh, school side as well. So um, the best schools that work with with Project Use programs, we've actually carved out two lessons during the during the week to be Project Use sessions. Um, and that didn't. And that wasn't easy because before it was an after-school program, and then we would try and hijack one or two lessons here and there. Uh, but essentially, two three years down the line, we were able to dedicate two two hours, uh, two two lessons. Sorry, to be Project Use lessons. Um, and this is this is the commitment that we ask from the school as well, right? And and this solves the and that's why the curriculum mapping and we we it is very important because we make sure that it's aligned to their overall curriculum agendas and outcomes, uh, and it's not looked at as just a co-curricular or extracurricular activity. Okay, and it's, it's not an it's not an add-on. You've re, you've actually replaced something that would have normally taken place during that time, and you said we're going to do this, so it's not an extra burden to the school. Yeah, and and that's the reason why we had to work on building it to become a whole holistic multi-year program, right? And um, and I think um, and and I think that's something that we are only now five years later getting confident in advocating for and selling and, and pushing it out to the to more schools and and, and more more um, more things. Even though when we look at it, it's been seven thousand kids that have been part of the program uh, over the last five years, but this is all without. Uh, much marketing and, and much uh, pushing. So we really want to see how the the you know we're we're able to when we don't want to reinvent existing educational systems because we see a, a lot of uh, uh, work being done in that space already. But my worry is always for the eighty percent that are the middle class, right? We always see a lot of attention being given to the bottom 10%. We see a lot of attention being given to the top 10%, but very little focus on the middle 80% because they're considered average. They're reaching all their, you know, uh, your their KPIs or their grade, grade point averages. And so why, why do we need to worry about them? But those are the guys who form the bulk of our society. That was me. I'm sure that was you. And and we we shouldn't i mean we want to be able to give those students attention and and and, and exposure on projects that we don't limit it to just the top top 10% or bottom 10%. right right exactly um i love that because you're right that's that's that that magic place in the middle right we talk about that all the time um there's so much fruit uh, that is available there if we would just sort of dig in um you know I, I, I love what's happening um, with this program, um, but I also want to be real. Um, so, and you've had incredible success, but I have no doubt that there are pain points, right? So what, what, is the, what is the biggest pain point that you see that you bump up against over and over again, I guess, because I'm sure there are valuable lessons for, for everybody who's listening to this, um, you know, in, in that moment. What, what's the hardest part of this work um, on a recurring basis? I think it's the massive amount of upskilling that, that you need to do as a leader. And uh, I think one of the things that I was just reflecting because we had a strategy meeting last week and I was just telling them that like, the biggest lie I was told is that you get the funding and you hire people and they'll do the work for you, right? Yeah. And that's never... That's <laughs> never right? I'm laughing because I feel so, your pain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, I just, I just, I just hope that you know that that I that I learned that over the course of time. But 
you know, folks like you and many others have told me that it's it's a journey that and and you've been doing it for decades. So it's it's not something that, you know, you you pick up and you learn in one day or something. So I think the biggest challenge is always pushing yourself and constantly being in a in a learning um, atmosphere. And I, I started this with a passion for education, not because I don't come from a family of business folks or anyone who's who's done uh, started any initiatives before or, or or anything like that. And so. Um, and so trying to develop all of those skill sets was uh, at, at a very fast pace was 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 critical for the develop for the success uh, of, um, of 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 Project Q. But I also believe that it's 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 to do with it's to do with how it's it's trying finding the right partners who can who can be thought partners of yours, right? Because especially if you're a visionary or you have that ideas. It's a very lonely world because not many people understand where you're going, right? And you can paint all these beautiful pictures of what schools or how schools you want to look like or how you'd want universities to look like. But you need someone to be able to digest your vision and stuff. So, and I always try and try to find that from my own team. But my team is specialized to do what they're doing. They're not there to be thought partners. They're specialized as educators, as, as operations folks, as folks in marketing or whatever, but finding the right community, which we found in Hakuba and, and other folks, other spaces like that, allows us to mentally, I don't want to say decompress, but, but yeah, find alliances and, and sharing ideas and thoughts. That's very refreshing. And I think uh, that was a big journey. That, that took a couple of years for me to learn that I don't get everything from my team, right? And that's okay because they're doing their job and it's not their job to be my thought partner. And um, and I think that was that was quite uh, that was quite a journey to to overcome. And I think starting any any initiative in whatever capacity, it's it really exposes your personality and your and and your uh, experiences and what shaped you. And you constantly have to refine that. And there's a very famous quote that says it's it's not the end goal that. Of, of leadership that makes it exciting, but it's the journey that you have to go through when you are in a leadership position where you have to really refine yourself uh, and address those monsters that you, but that most people just sweep under the carpet uh, that can otherwise manifest in very negative ways. So I think that's, but that's, but I think that's ongoing, right? You'll always, you will see that in every aspect of your life. Every time you see, a, I, I took out this fire, some, some, sometime down the line, you'll see another, another thing popping up, but that's, but that's a part and parcel of being a leader, I guess. Yeah, no, I definitely think that, think that it is. Um, I always love to sort of wrap the conversation by recognizing the fact that folks have given us their time to listen to our, um, the, the things that we are talking about, um, that we are invariably passionate about wondering how do I then um, you know, get this amazing opportunity um, to come to my location, to my community, to my school. So, um, so Project U is um, um, available where and how do how do um, practitioners get their get their hands on the opportunity? Um, yeah, so uh, Project U is available. So our website is projectux.org and. Um, 
I'm more than happy to have uh, discussions and connect on LinkedIn. My name is Abdul Mateen Yusuf. I think you'll probably see that on the title of the of the episode. Um, and um, and and yeah, so a lot of our work is available from the website. So we're currently active in schools in 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 the UAE and Dubai. Uh, but some schools, for example, the schools in Australia and the schools in Malaysia and now schools in Germany have like adopted some of our work uh, from um, from what we publish online and, and, and the frameworks that we have over there. So, uh, but yeah, you're more than welcome to visit the website and, and download a lot of the stuff over there is available for free and uh, available for you guys to make uh, the most of. Excellent. So we always love to hear that. Um, and I'm sure um, that we will have folks that will um, reach out. You know, um, it was a joy to be able to have this conversation um, with you today, Abdul. And thank you very much for the work that you're doing. Continue to do that work. Um, but thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day to talk with us. We really appreciate it. You're most welcome, Annalise. Thank you so much for, for hosting. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.